thankful that we're back in here, back to our Sunday school. We're starting D groups on Wednesday night. Uh, I've missed being with you guys, so this is this is just a, a treat, a blessing to be back. Before we start, do we do we have any visitors this morning? First timers or visitors coming back up front? Levi, you want to introduce them? Hey, which one is Hayden? Hayden, how, how old are you, sir? 17. 17. What grade? Uh, What's that? 11. 11th. And um, homeschool? Uh, we go to See, he knew his grade right away. <laughs> and uh, what, what do you like to do? Any sports, hobbies? Uh, basketball. Basketball, okay. Uh, what do you, what position? Point, uh, center. Shooting guard. Steph Curry, shooting guard, right? I don't know. Um, and, and Nate, how, how old are you? 15. 15, what grade? Sophomore. Sophomore, okay. Any hobbies? Basketball. Basketball, too? You guys play together? Uh, no. No? <laughs> okay, you, so you play against each other? Yeah. Who's better? Oh, Hayden said he, said he is. You're, you're both good. Sounds good. And you have, and you have other siblings, yo- younger also, right? Sounds good. Well, thank you for, uh, for coming and visiting. And you, your family is somewhat new to the church? Is that correct? Okay, good. Uh, who else? Yes. Nice. And you're in the army, military. Do, now, when you say military, do they have different branches like we do here? They do, but it's way smaller. The military is a lot smaller. I see. So, which, which branch are you in? Nice. What so so what what particular work do you do, do they have you do? So it's any kind of criminal activity within the military. So since everyone has to there's like a general draft in the middle and everyone has to go in. So you get anybody that's uh, from any like kind of like a criminal family, any kind of stuff like that. So it's more like a lot of it's like stealing weapons or explosives or something. Oh wow. So you're like a police for the, within the military. That's cool. And uh, Ethan, yes. What, what grade are you in? I'm a junior. A junior, okay. How's Tennessee? In, in Nashville, you said? It's like 20 minutes down there. You like country music? Uh, I still haven't got used to it. But <laughs> Slowly games. Yeah. We love country music. It's America <laughs> in Nashville. Any, any other visitors? All right. Sounds good. Um, what else do we have in the way of announcement? Oh, make sure you have your book for D groups. So, so we start this Wednesday, okay, January 6th at 630 we meet, we, we're all going to meet up here and we usually play a game before we split up into, into our grades and, and groups. So make sure you have your book. It's $12. If you don't have money today, uh, you can tell the, the race to write your name down and then you just pay on Wednesday. Uh, this Wednesday, there's no reading, so you don't have to worry about, about reading anything. Um, it'll just be our first night. You know, you, you'll, you'll be back with your, with your groups or with your new groups and just get to know each other and, and, um, and just talk about what your goals are for the semester and how you're going to hold each other accountable and how you guys are going to grow. You know, you just set your goals and expectations for the semester as a group with your leaders and uh, just get to know each other, welcome each other, and, um, and, and that's how we're going to spend our first night. And then we'll start our first reading 
uh, to Wednesdays from, from now. Questions about Wednesday night D groups? And you'll know, you'll know your groups and your leaders, okay? And then winter camp is coming up, so make sure you get a handout. Uh, we have more back there if you haven't gotten one. I think we have 14 registrations. I don't know who they are, but if you've registered, uh, thank you for doing that early. Uh, it, it's uh, the last weekend of this month. So whatever the dates are, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, we leave Friday afternoon, and then we come back Sunday afternoon. Um, so registration's open. Talk to your parents. If you, need, if you need financial help, just let me know. Call the church, email me, let your parents know to talk to me, and uh, we'll make sure that you guys can go to winter camp. Any questions about winter camp? What are you going to do? Register. Register. <laughs> register, register. And, and yeah, invite your friends, uh, who, whoever you would like to, to come to winter camp. Any, anything else that I'm missing? Any questions so far? You guys awake? <laughs> well, that's fine because our passage this morning is going to wake you up. Uh, it's a great, great passage. I'm thankful again that we're back together and we're, bar we're, we're back in the book of Mark. So, uh, make sure you have a Bible, and I'm going to have you guys pass the handout out, this side and that side. Oh, look at that. The, the boy's side is bigger than the girl's side. Wow. Finally. We've been waiting for this to happen in like five years. So make sure you have a Bible. We have extra Bibles in the back. We should have enough handouts. And open to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. All right, so we finished chapter 11, I mean, we finished chapter 12 uh, back in November, I think, and then we had December off, uh, so it's been a while, but we finished chapter 12 back in November, and my plan is to cover all chapter 13, which is a big, big task to do. Uh, it's one of the most difficult chapters in, in, in the Gospels. Um, it's called the Olivet Discourse. So, so my goal is to finish chapter 13, okay, all 37 verses this month so that, so that uh, we can just go straight to, to winter camp after chapter 13, okay? Um, so we're going to do that, Lord willing, this January, and, um, and we're just going to continue, and then Lord willing, we'll be done with, with Mark. We have chapter 14 after this, and then 15 and 16, 16 is short. And then we'll have summer and, and summer camp to look forward to, okay? So, I'll ask you a couple of questions. Well, let's read it first, okay? Let, let's read, we're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to cover uh, the first 13 verses this morning. So, so, let's read verses 1 through 13. And then the middle we'll cover next Sunday. And then the third, the third uh, section all the way all the way through 37, we'll cover on the third Sunday. So look at Mark chapter 13, okay? If you're not, if you, if you're not there, um, ask somebody for, for help to find it. Mark chapter 13, verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, so that's Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Jesus, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? 
And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and he will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be also famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, as, the testimony, as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And brother will betray brother to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So, just a couple of questions to wake you up, to get you into the mood of, of Mark 13. What do you think is the main theme of Mark 13? 13. I know we didn't read the whole chapter, but you, I, I hope you could kind of tell um, what the theme is of this chapter. Anyone want to try and guess? Yeah, Isaiah. What's that? Say, say it a little bit louder. Things that are going to come soon. How did you get that? Things to come. Yeah, I do, I do too. All that stuff, yes, yeah, so, so good. Things that are going to come, okay? Um, and any smart people here who can give me the, the fancy term for that? Yes. <laughs> Wait, no. No? It's one word? Yes. Eschatology, right? Eschatology, right? Remember, when, when, when you have ology, it means what? Study of, right? The, the, the first term there, eschaton, the end time. So, so this is what we call the, the study of the end times. That's eschatology. Jesus is going to teach the, his disciples and us today what's going to happen in the end. Okay, that's what, that's what the theme of Mark 13 is, the, the end times, what's going to happen in the future. Next question, what, are, what, what do you think are... Let, let, me, let me ask you this way. What would you say are your, okay, don't think about other people, think about yourself, what are your reasons for not studying eschatology, the end times? I think it's safe to assume that people today, especially young people, when you say, hey, think about the future, when you say that, they're, they're saying, oh, like what I'm, what I'm going to eat for lunch, like that future? Or, or what I'm going to do tomorrow, what video games I'm going to play, or what college I'm going to go to in a couple of years. Um, I, I think that's how we think about the future. But here, Jesus is talking about future all the way to the end future. So what do you think are some reasons why we don't enjoy or like to or want to study the future all the way to the end, not just what we're going to eat for lunch? It's scary to think about and, and know and, and study. Yes, any other reasons why we don't study eschatology? Yeah. It's confusing. Yeah, it's hard, right? It's hard, it's difficult. What else? Yeah, lots of speculations. Yeah, we were yeah we were in Flagstaff a couple of days ago, and this sales guy was telling us, "Oh, have you heard? You know, Bill Gates, man, Bill Gates, he's putting something in the vaccine, and and guess what? It's oh six oh six oh six. It's the end of the world. Maybe yeah, I don't know, you know, 
Um, but yeah, people get into that stuff, speculations and drawing conclusions and lines where the Bible doesn't draw and is unclear about. So I, get, I, I, I gave you some reasons there, just things that I, that I thought of uh, in the handout. Number one, we don't care. You know, you, Christians don't care. You know, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm alive now, you know, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, you know, I do what I want, and if I die tomorrow, I'll be with Jesus. Who cares about the future? Who cares about the end times? Right, we don't care. Number two, we think it's not practical. Oh, it's just, you know, head knowledge, it's just all those prophecies in the Old Testament, you know, all just those things. It's just, how, how is that going to help me today? You know, it's not practical for me. Number three, it's difficult and intimidating, like you guys said. Number four, it divides people in churches. You know, people say, people, people come and visit our church, and they say, oh, you know, we don't really want to get into eschatology because, you know, it, we, we don't, number one, we don't really know a lot about that, and number two, you know, we don't want it to divide us, you know, so let's just get along. So those are some reasons for not studying eschatology. Uh, look at the next one. What are the consequences for not studying eschatology? What do you guys think? What are some consequences? Think about yourself, okay? If this is the first time that you're going to study eschatology, okay, if this is the first time that you're going to see a big picture of the end times, of what to expect in the future, what would you say are some of the consequences of not knowing those things? Yeah, CJ. Yeah, yeah, you get lazy. Yeah, you, you procrastinate. You just, oh, you know, I, I, I have other things to study. I'll just study that later. So, yeah. What else? Some consequences. Think of, a, think of someone who does not want to study eschatology, doesn't know about the end times, doesn't know what to expect in the future. Think about, think about that person, picture that person in mind, and think what kind of lifestyle he'll live. Yes? He won't be prepared. Yeah, he won't be prepared. What else? What kind of life, what kind of thinking, what kind of behavior is that person going to show? Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, you're right. They're gonna end up shying away from other passages that are difficult, even even though it doesn't talk about eschatology, because they're lazy. Yeah, look at that. The handout I gave you, I I gave some examples. Number one, we lose the urgency to repent. Right? Why repent? Why why why, pastor? Why are you telling me to get rid of this sin now? confess it and forsake it, like Solomon says in Proverbs 28, 13. Why are you telling me and why are you so urgent to, to, for me to do this now when we don't even know when Jesus Christ is coming back? So I'm okay. I can enjoy this for a little longer. We don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back and I'm Christian anyway, so, so who, who cares? Right? So that's, that's number one. We lose the urgency to repent. Because we don't think about the future. We don't think about Jesus Christ's return. And we don't think about what's going to happen when he comes back. Number two, we foster earthly minds. Okay, because eschatology is mo most, of the, most of the things that we're going to study under the, the category of eschatology, they have not, what? Happened yet. So since they have not happened yet, most of them, what our, our minds just gravitate to, 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 to things of the world, okay? Like, like sports and my toys and my hobbies, what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I'm going to do today, all the experiences and the things that, I'm, that I get to enjoy while, I, while I'm alive. Well, if you're not future-minded, future-focused, heavenly-focused, that's all you're going to think about. So that's the consequence. Number three, we develop impure lives. You develop impure lives because you think, well, you know, it's just going to pan out anyway at the end. You know, it's just going to, the Lord's in control. He's just going to do what he wants to do. So everything's going to be fine. 
Um, you know, he's so busy, you know, doing things, so he's not really paying attention to me. He, he can't really know what I'm doing right now. He can't really see what I'm doing right now. So, you know what, I'm, I'm okay being immoral, being sinful, you know, hiding my sins. That's what happens. And number four, we fail to evangelize. Because what do we say? Oh, you know, we don't really know when Jesus Christ is going to come back. The end, we don't really know when the end is going to happen. So, you know what, Bro- brother Joe here, cousin Thomas there, you know, neighbor Zach over here, you know. You know, well, we'll give him the gospel next time. You know, next Christmas when we get together, we'll give Aunt Sally, you know, the gospel So we lose the urgency to evangelize the lost because, again, we're not thinking because we we don't know that the end is coming. So I want you to think about those reasons and consequences of not studying the end end times eschatology. So look at your your handout. I'm going to give you the, the big picture first before we dive into verses 1 through 13. So if the main theme of Mark chapter 13 is eschatology, end times, okay, that's the theme, okay, then what is the lesson from that theme? You guys, you guys following me? Okay, the theme is eschatology, end times, the future, what's going to happen. So what's the lesson then can we learn from that? Okay, what's the lesson? And it's this, Jesus describes what we can expect, okay, expect in the future days, Jesus describes what we can expect in the future days so that we will know how to live faithfully in the present day. Okay? Jesus is describing what we can expect in the future days so that we will know how to live faithfully in the present day. So when, after we study Mark chapter 13 and and at the end of the month, you're just saying, oh, I, I know so much now. I even have a chart, you know. And this, this chart right here, man, I, I got it all down. I know what's going to happen. I know eschatology. I'm the expert. But then it has not changed your life, how you live today. Then you have failed. You just know a bunch of stuff, but it hasn't changed your heart. So that's why eschatology, I think, is super duper important for all people to know, especially young people, because it changes how you what? How you live today. It should change how you live today. So we're going to talk about a lot of confusing things. We're going to talk about things that, 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 that's first time for me to study. So you're going to have to be patient with me. We're going to talk about words that you guys have never heard before. We're going to go to the Old Testament, books that you've never read before. We're going to go to passages in Daniel that's just super confusing. Um, But what's the goal? The goal is to know what to expect in the future so that you and I can live faithfully and differently today. It has to change how you live today. That's eschatology. That's what people call ethical eschatology, knowing the end times and being changed by it in the present. So, back to your handout. Last, last over, you know, overview and picture, and then we're going to go, go to our passage. So, we know the theme. We know the main lesson. Now, here's how I'm, I'm sectioning Mark 13, okay? And I'm, I'm trying to just make it very simple for, for all of us. Uh, number one, the not yet signs of the end, okay? The not yet signs of the end verses 1 through 13. They, they, they are signs, but they are not yet signs of the end. And then verses 14 through 23, I'm calling that the signs of the end. Okay? The signs of the end, or the already signs of the end. And then number 3, verses 24 through 37, the last part there, the, the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of the, the, the main sections of Mark chapter 13. So this morning, we're going to look at the first section, the not yet signs of the end. Okay, the not yet signs of the end. So, so here's, how, here's how we're going to look at it. Four responses. Okay, again, I'm trying to balance both. Okay, I want you to know, I want you to study with me, and I want you to gain knowledge of eschatology, 
but I also want you to train yourself and to train your mind to say, okay, how does this affect me? What do I do with this? What, what is Jesus asking me to apply? So four responses, so it makes it personal what you're to do, you're to respond. Four responses to the not yet signs of the end. Okay, so you need to know the not yet signs of the end, but at the same time, you need to respond to them. You need to know how to respond to them. You need to know how Jesus, how Jesus expects you to respond to them. So here's number one. Temple destruction. Okay, temple destruction. Don't be surprised. So you have a, I'm giving you a not yet sign of the end, and I'm giving you what Jesus expects of you. Don't be surprised. So remember what happened back in chapter 11? Okay, we're going back in like September, October. Back in chapter 11, Jesus finally ar ar arrives in Jerusalem, okay? The holy city, okay, in Israel. The most important city in the world back then and today and in the future. So Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem and, and his reception was what? Shocking, right? A downer, right? That's why we call that the not-so-triumphal entry, right? They did do some things, you know, they, they waved the palm branches, they, they sang Hosanna to the highest, but at the end of the day, it was all fake, fake worship. There were just a bunch of fakers. They didn't really welcome and receive Jesus Christ as the true Messiah, the true Savior of those people, the Jews, so it was, just, it was a fake, it was a show, it wasn't a triumphal entry. So that was chapter 11. He arrives in Jerusalem, and in chapter 12, he finally visits the what in Jerusalem? So Jerusalem is the most important city, and within Jerusalem, for the Jews, there was the most important building <coughs> in the world. <laughs> well, well, what did he visit in chapter 12? The temple. Okay, the temple. He visits the temple, their main place of worship, and he was challenged by the Jewish leaders who were supposed to be running the temple. You guys remember? He was challenged three times. The Pharisees and the Herodians challenged him, challenged his authority. And then second, the Sadducees. Remember, they were sad because they didn't believe that there was a what? Resurrection. I know it's... Back in November, but they were, they were sad, you see, remember? Because they did not believe the resurrection. So they come, the second group of guys, in the temple challenging, challenging Jesus about the resurrection. And then, and then the third group, uh, third group of people, the scribes, okay, the experts of the Old Testament, the experts of translating and copying and interpreting the, the, the word of God, they too took a shot at Jesus. So after all that, okay, after visiting, finally arriving in Jerusalem, after visiting the temple, the main place of their worship for the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, he gets challenged, he wasn't welcomed, they didn't receive him, they rejected him, so he said, I'm out. And I'm leaving the temple. So Jesus and his disciples leave the temple. So look at what happens next, okay? Now we're in chapter 13, verse 1. Okay, so that's kind of the context. Chapter 13, verse 1, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Okay, let me, let me set, set the context here. So they leave the temple, and, and the, the, our, our projectors are not working, but I had nice photos and pictures of, of the temple for you guys to see. But it's, this, it's a massive, massive building. Okay? But... But they, they leave the temple, they, leave, they, they exit one gate, and then they go down the valley, Kidron Valley. It's like a valley like this, and they go up, and then they're on another mountain called the Mount of Olives, where they planted olives. That's why this chapter in some, in, in some Bibles are titled the Olivet Discourse. Discourse, discourse means teaching. Olivet's on the Mount of Olives, so this is the, the chapter where Jesus taught on the Mount of Olives, right? So, so, so they exit the temple, they go down Kidron Valley, and they go up. The mountain is right here, Mount of Olives. So Jesus is right there sitting, sitting with his disciples, and they're looking back down, and they're looking at the temple across the valley. Here's the massive, big, and beautiful uh, structure here, the temple. And the disciples, 
says to Jesus, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful and big and massive buildings. Can't you see? So again, the temple was first built by who in the Old Testament? It's like 900 plus BC. So 900 something plus years before Jesus Christ showed up. It was first built by Solomon. Right? It was big and massive and beautiful, but then the Babylonians came and, and destroyed it. Right? And then the Babylonians uh, take the Jews and they, they deported them and they took them into captivity in Babylon. Right? And then later on, Zerubbabel, remember Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, right? The three going backs back into Jerusalem. So Zerubbabel, they, he takes, he takes uh, some Jews back into Jerusalem and what did they do? They rebuilt the temple. Again, the temple is the most important thing for the Jews. So they go back in Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple, Zerubbabel uh, rebuilds, rebuilds it. But he, he wasn't really able to restore it to how beautiful and how massive and big it was like Solomon's day. So fast forward, King Herod, King Herod came and reconstructed the temple again. And after 83 years, okay, it took him 83 years from 19 BC all the way to, to 63 AD. Um, just seven years, by the way, before it got destroyed. Uh, for 83 years, he reconstructed and made it like 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. It's like massive and even bigger. So that's, that's the history of the temple. So it's always been around. It, it, the, the whole point of the temple is for God to, for God to uh, go near to his people uh, for, for, for worship. So that's what Jesus and the disciples are, are looking at. Now, I think, and this is me speculating, okay, um, but I think it's a, it's a safe speculation uh, in light of the context of what just happened in chapter 12 and what just happened in chapter 11, and again, we're in act three, a shocking reception, right, and then the next act is going to be the shocking rejection of Jesus, so I think taking all the context, even though it's not explicitly in verse 1 and verse 2, I think the disciples were kind of tempting Jesus to just put an end to everything and just bring on the kingdom and set himself up as the king. So they're looking at the temple and the disciples are saying, Jesus, look how massive the temple is. Look how beautiful it is. And it was built for your people in your city and they're missing a what? A king. And isn't that why you came to be the king? And listen, Jesus, it was built for prayer and worship, but we were just in there, and the religious leaders were using it for business and for money, taking advantage of widows and poor people. So why don't you, Jesus, put an end to all of that corruption, take over your city, take over your temple, Throw, throw, uh, overthrow the Roman government and be the king and you have your kingdom right here and we can all rule together. Just look how beautiful it is. Look how massive it is. Big stones, beautiful structure. And look at Jesus' response to them. Look at verse two. And Jesus said to them, do you see these great buildings? He's like, ah, I, see, I see them. Okay, look at them again. Not one stone will be left upon one another which will not be torn down. So Jesus was predicting a near future destruction of the temple, which would be fulfilled uh, about 40 years later in 70 AD. So he's saying, guys, you know, the, Ro uh, the Roman army is, is going to come. They didn't know who, but, but the guy, a guy named Titus Vespasian is going to come and he's going to completely obliterate and destroy and demolish this temple. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how beautiful it is. You know what? 40 years from now, later on, it's going to be completely devastated. So what's the whole point of Jesus' answer? I, I think the whole point of Jesus' answer here is that, is that he's telling the disciples that his first coming was not to conquer and become a king, but to die and become a what? A savior. That's what his mission, three times, remember? Three times, eight, nine, and 10, chapters eight, nine, and 10, his shocking mission told the disciples and everybody there, hey, this is what I came to do. I didn't come to be the king. I didn't come to destroy 
the, 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 Roman, the, the Roman government. I didn't come to do that. I came to die so that I can be a savior for those who would believe and repent. That's the, the mission of my first coming. And you know what? This temple, yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's big. It's supposed to be for worship for the Jews, uh, but they're not using it for that right now. But you know what? I'll take care of that. That's going to be destroyed in 7080. So he's telling the disciples, temple is going to be destroyed. Don't be surprised. I did not come to, to take over the temple and set up my kingdom and be the king right now. Not yet. These are the not yet signs of the end. Number two. Look at number two. Religious counterfeit or fraud, or fake, okay, religious counterfeit, don't be misled, so this is the second not yet sign of the end, and Jesus is going to tell us, here's how, you, how you're to respond to that, don't be misled, religious counterfeit, don't be misled, look at verse 3, as he, so Jesus, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, again, opposite the temple, they're, look, they're looking at it, Peter and James and John and Andrew, so four of the twelve, were questioning him privately. So they, were, they, they, you know, they heard what Jesus said about the temple. You know, they, they heard that he, he didn't come to be the king. He came to save. He didn't come to, to take over and be the king. He came to, to die and save people from their sins. And he's saying that the temple is going to be destroyed. So, so they gather their little group you know, privately and say, Hey, Jesus, we... We just heard what you said there just a minute ago. So they're questioning him privately. Look at verse 4. Tell us then, Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Okay, so that's their question. Now, have, have you guys heard of parallel accounts? Right, because Mark was not the only one who told about the Olivet Discourse, right, about eschatology. So go to Matthew 24, okay, that, this is a parallel account, Matthew 24, because Matthew told the same story. Look at Matthew chapter 24, look at verse uh, 3, verse 3. You guys there? Okay. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so that's Jesus, Sounds like Mark, right? The disciples came to him privately saying, sounds like Mark, right? Parallel. But look at how Matthew records what the disciples said to him. Tell us when will these things happen? He's talking about the destruction of the temple because that's what they just heard, right? Tell us, Jesus, when the temple is going to be destroyed. And look at the next thing. Secondly, what will be the sign of your coming? Again, they knew, even though they kind of, you know, struggled and didn't really want to believe that he's going to die, but rise up three days later and come back again. But they knew that. That's why they're asking him, what will be the sign of your coming, of your second coming when you come back after you die? And look at the third thing they're asking, in the end of the age. So they're pretty much saying, give us, a, you know, a class on eschatology, you know, you know what? The temple, yes, we want to know when that's going to happen. Okay, you're going to die. You're going to, ri- uh, you're going to be raised from the dead. Uh, but you're, you, you've been telling us that you're going to come back. So when is that going to happen? And you know what, Jesus? Remember all the Old Testament prophecies about the end that, are, that have not been fulfilled yet? You know what? Just tell us everything. When are, when, when are all those things going to happen? Now go back to Mark chapter 13. Look at Jesus' answer. You would expect that Jesus would just roll out, you know, his eschatology timeline, right? His PowerPoint, you know, his charts and everything, exact dates and stuff, right? With pictures and saying, this is the Antichrist, this is the dragon, this is the serpent, you know, this is Russia right here, and this is China, you know, this is, you know... Uh, this person and that person. See, the vaccine, yes, it was the mark of the Antichrist, 666. He didn't do that. <laughs> he didn't do that. Look at, look at verse 5. So they're asking him, right, three specific questions. The temple, your second coming, and the fulfillment of 
Old Testament prophecies about the end. Verse 5, and Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying I am he and he will mislead many. What's, what's the point? I don't think Jesus is, you know, avoiding the question. I think what he's saying is that, guys, again, we're talking about ethical eschatology. Yes, I will tell you some of the things to look for, but, but I don't want you to focus on getting the dates and getting the charts and doing all these calculations. I don't want you guys to do that. I, wa- I don't want you to focus on those things. I want you to focus on not being misled. I'm, I want you to focus on not being frightened. I'm, I want you to focus on not, not being worried. I want you to focus on being faithful as these things start to happen. That's the point of eschatology. So, just like back then, we have many religious frauds today who are misleading a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians, Right? We have false churches with false teachers who claim that they're biblical and Christian and they have cool websites and fun programs you know, that are so attract- attractive to young people, but they're just out there to what? To deceive you. Okay, sorry to say that, but that's what Jesus said 2,000 years ago and it's been happening. It's, there, there's been so many religious counterfeits and there's, there has been many, 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 many people who have been misled and Jesus says, do not be misled. There are going to be churches in Phoenix who will call themselves a Christian church. And they will have a youth pastor. And they're going to call that youth pastor a good pastor because he teaches from the Bible. But you know what? He will mislead you. He will mislead you. So let me give you... Um, Kind of a side note here. Here's how you can prevent yourself from being misled, okay? Because if that's the command, okay, don't be misled. This is going to happen. We need to expect false religions, false teachers, false, false, uh, false churches. So let me give you three uh, ways to prevent yourself, especially you younger people, and you're looking, you're looking at the next season of your life, okay? college and then the next and then the next and then career and all these things. Here's how you can prevent yourself from being misled by false religions. Number one, swim in God's word. Swim in God's word. Don't just read it. Don't just check the box in the morning. Don't just carry it to church. Swim in God's word, meaning you're just in it. Okay? You're reading it. You're thinking about it. You can't get enough of it. You know, you go through your day, even though it's not in front of you, you're thinking about it, man, I can't wait to read the next chapter because, man, it's going to answer lots of my questions. You're just swimming in it. Okay, I I talk to you and we talk about what you like and what I like, but eventually you end up talking about the Bible because you're swimming in it. If you know the Bible, you're going to be protected from false religions. I mean, think about it. Guess who are the ones who are easily duped by false religions. Those who know their Bible or those who don't? Those who don't. Number two, love your church. That's another protection from being misled. Love your church. Listen, students, one of the best ways God protects his people is by putting them in a what? A church. Because <laughs> there is a protective grace and mercy from God to those Christians who are in good churches. That's why I keep telling you guys, when you look for a college, before you look for a college, you need to look for what? A church. Because there are so many young people who are being misled by, religi- by false religion, false teachers, cool pastors, because they are not in a good church. Your Christian university, your Christian college, that is not your church. Why? Because it's not a church. It's just a school with Christian people. That's all it is. So love your church. That's one way to prevent yourself from being misled. Number three, number three, be discipled. Be discipled, okay? Discipleship is not only for old Christians. (laughs) It's for all Christians. If you're a Christian, you are what? A disciple. And a disciple is a what again? What's the other word for a disciple? 
a student, a learner, right? And a good learner just sits there and waits for people to come and initiate a teaching. And is that what a good te- uh, learner is? No, a good learner, a good disciple goes after it. Goes after it. Oh, I have leaders and they're older than me. They're more mature than me. I'm a learner. I'm a disciple. I'm going to go with questions and I'm going to have them teach me. That's one way for you to be prevented from being misled. So swim in God's word, love your church, be discipled. Number three, number three back in our outline, okay? So we talked about the temple destruction, don't be surprised, religious counterfeit, don't be misled. Number three, global tragedies, global, okay, massive, all over the earth, global tragedies, catastrophes, you know, calamities, whatever you want to call it. And Jesus' instruction is this, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Don't fear. Don't be scared. Jesus is saying, expect these things. They are going to happen. But don't be frightened. Okay, look at verse 7. When you hear of wars, not if, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, here's the main command. The imperative, the, uh, the, the takeaway, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the what? The end. That's why I'm calling this section this, the, the not yet signs of the end. Verse 8, for nation will rise up against nation. That's been going on since then and today, right? In kingdom against kingdom, there will be earthquakes. That's still happening in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of what? Birth pangs. Any, any different translation here? What the, the, all, all your Bibles say birth pangs? You guys know what birth pangs are? Who here has ever felt a Braxton Hicks contraction? Any guys? <laughs> no? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you can put your hand on the belly and you'll, you'll sometimes feel the Braxton Hicks. But, again... That your, our Bibles say birth pangs. We don't really talk that way today, but we can kind of call, call, call this uh, Braxton Hicks contractions. Okay, for, for, for those of you who do not know what Braxton Hicks contractions are, they're, they're, um, they're con- they're, they are contra- contractions that are kind of fake contractions because they can come, okay, this is, we're talking about pregnant moms. Okay, so you guys following me now? Braxton Hicks contractions, pregnancy, moms. Okay, babies. So, so they're kind of fake because they can, they can happen way before the baby is due to be born. Okay? And sometimes you can't even really feel them. And, and they are not, you know, they're not even worthy of comparison to the real contractions when the baby is about to come. So that's the whole point of birth pangs. They're Braxton Hicks. They can come whenever, they can come way before the due date, and when they come, they're nothing in comparison to what's going to happen, you know, nine months from now, right? So that's, that's the whole point here. I, I remember Leslie's pregnancy with, with Ruthie seven years ago, our first one, right? Um, and she, uh, she was a teacher back then, so she just, you know, she goes to teach. I don't know how far along she was, but she... You know, she was a teacher, she was working one morning, and she starts having contractions. But she knew they were just what? Braxton Hicks, birth, birth pangs. So she just kept teaching. I think she finished her day, right? She just kept teaching and, and finished her day. So, so she, she uh, finally comes home, but I wasn't home. I was uh, buying a shotgun for duck hunting and for, you know, we're having our first daughter, so kind of two purposes for the shotgun. So I wasn't home, but she comes home and, and, um, and, and she starts having more contractions. And she's like, I don't know if these are Braxton Hicks, you know, because they're getting more intense and they're getting closer. So she starts calling me. And for some reason, I miss her phone calls. You know, I wasn't answering. I'm really like, man, this shotgun is going to be really nice. You know, it's going to kill lots of ducks and hopefully not guys, but lots of ducks and for protection for my daughter. So I'm, I was really into that shotgun, and then my phone is probably vibrating, and I miss all of her phone calls. You know, she's sitting at home and um, having more contractions. Then I eventually come home, and she's like, 
She's, and, you know, I come home, she's home, and, and she's like, where you been? I've been calling you. You know, she's probably sitting in the couch, you know, having contractions, eating, I don't know, pickles and chocolate, right? What, what moms crave. <laughs> where have you been? I'm having more contractions. We need to go to the hospital now. And I was probably like, relax, girl, Braxton Hicks. <laughs> What's the point? The point is Braxton Hicks contractions, birth pangs that a mom feels throughout the pregnancy can happen way before the due date and are not worth comparing to the real contractions because when we went to the hospital, those contractions that she felt when she was teaching and in the couch eating pickles and chocolate, those were baby in comparison to the real contractions. That's Jesus' point here. Look at verse 8 again. These things, okay, all these things that he's talking about in, in verses 1 to 13, these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Braxton Hicks, baby. Relax. Expect them. Listen, guys, the, the, the temple that happened 2,000 years ago, the destruction, false religions and global catastrophes, they're happening right now. They've been around for a long time but they are not yet signs of the end. And listen, students, I mean, this is just so applicable to today, okay? Global catastrophes, right? Global tragedies. And Jesus is saying, don't be frightened. He's got it all figured out. That's how he planned it. So we are to expect them. Uh, a global pandemic, a, a viral pandemic, coronavirus, Braxton Hicks, I'm not downplaying coronavirus, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying people getting sick and dying from coronavirus, but Jesus is saying, expect those things. China, this country, Russia, and that, you know, um, I don't know, whatever you read on the internet <laughs> or see on the internet, they may be true or they may not be true, but Braxton Hicks, expect them, but they are not yet the end. So whatever you believe or don't believe or what's going on globally, and Jesus is saying, don't be what? Frightened. Don't be afraid. He's got it all, what? Figured out. Last one. Christian persecution. So temple destruction, don't be surprised. Religious counterfeit, don't be misled. Global tragedy, tragedies, don't be frightened. Last one, number four. Christian persecution... Don't be worried. Don't be worried. And we'll see that command again right there. Jump at us. Don't be worried. Christian persecution, expect them. Okay? Christian persecutions are not abnormal. They're, they are normal. So expect them. How should you respond to them? Don't be worried. Look at verse 9. But be on your guard. Why, Jesus? For they will deliver you to the courts. And you will be flogged in the synagogues, punished, whipped. And you, will be, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, Jesus says, because of me, because of my name, because you follow me, because you're Christians, because you love me, because you're about the Bible. For my sake, those things will happen to you as a testimony to them. Verse 10, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Jesus is saying, expect persecutions. Expect persecutions. But here's the goal. The goal is to be on your guard because you need to keep preaching the gospel to all nations, to all people. That's your goal. Look at verse 11. When they arrest you and hand you over, again, not for being a criminal, not for being a bad person, for doing bad things, but for being a Christian, for being faithful to the Lord. Because of that, they will arrest you and hand you over. He says, do not worry. Don't worry. Don't worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. This is not talking about pastors who say, I don't really prep for my sermons. You know, I just, I just kind of pray and contemplate, and as soon as I get up there, the Holy Spirit gives me what to say. It's not, that's unwise. That's foolish. You know, I don't do that. Uh, this verse, the context is what? Persecution. So Jesus is saying, guys, don't worry. When you are being persecuted for your faith because you love Jesus Christ and you follow Jesus Christ and you want to live your Christian faith in front of the world who hates you, do not worry. Preach the gospel. 
And the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and He's going to help you say what you need to say. Look at, look at verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death. It's kind of ramping up. This is persecution ramped up another level. And a father, his child, you know, uh, betraying his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Jesus is talking about being persecuted by your own family. Now, I don't think, I don't think any of you can relate to this level of persecution that, that I don't think you've seen uh, a family member who was killed by another family member because that person is a Christian. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you guys can relate to that. But I know a couple of you who are being persecuted by your parents because you're a Christian, because you go to church, and they're calling you, uh, you know, legalistic. They're calling you overbaked. They're ca- they're calling you too much, you know. And um, and that's a persecution that you can expect. Jesus is saying here from your own family. They may not kill you physically, but if you are a Christian and you love Jesus Christ and you're living out your faith in a world that hates Jesus Christ, like an unbelieving family. Jesus says, don't worry. Be on your guard. Don't worry. Expect that. Expect that. Don't be surprised, okay? That's not abnormal. That's the norm for a Christian. Persecution from a non-family member or a family member, that's normal, Jesus says. Look at that, this last verse. It makes everything clear when it comes to persecution. Verse 13, you will be hated not just disliked, okay? You will be hated. Okay, when you go to, to college, guys, you will be hated. Your goal in college is not to be liked by everybody. Your goal in college is to be pleasing and liked by God, which on the other end, be being hated by a lot of people. You'll be hated. Why? Because I'm not a nice person? Because I'm mean, because I'm not friendly, because I like different things? No, you will be hated by all because of what? My name, Jesus says. If you love me and you follow me and you live your life faithfully to me in a world that hates me, you will be hated. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is talking about persevering in your faith all the way to the end in the midst of persecution. A person who professes to be a Christian and is willing to suffer for Jesus Christ, even, even if it ends up costing him his life, that person is proven to be a true Christian. That's what he's saying here. You will be hated by all because of my name. That's a not yet sign of the final end. How are you to respond to that? Don't worry. Don't worry. Guys, you have so much to look forward to, okay? If the Lord doesn't come back soon, if you don't die soon, you have so much to look forward to. Like I said, you have college to look forward to. You have the next season of your life to look forward to. You'll get married, Lord willing, one day. You'll have a family one day. You have so much to look forward to. But you know what? Expect these things. But Jesus is saying, don't, don't be surprised. Those things are going to happen. Don't be misled, okay? Be in the church, Know your Bible, be discipled, don't be misled, and don't be frightened. The virus, the new strain of the virus, all these things, they are just what? Braxton Hicks. <laughs> to be expected. Nothing, okay guys, listen to me, nothing in comparison to what we're going to look at next Sunday from 14 to 23. Nothing in comparison. And you can talk to any of the moms in the back. They would compare they would describe Braxton Hicks as babies in comparison to the real contractions. That's what we're going to look at next Sunday, okay? Any, any questions before I dismiss you guys? No questions? All right. Let's, let's pray, okay? And then you guys are free to hang out uh, and then make your way to, uh, to the church service. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, we give you just, just much gratitude for being back together. I know it's hard right now to do what we 
do uh, something that seemed normal uh, before 2020. But as we uh, just studied, these things are to be expected. They're actually normal in your timeline, in how you have planned out the rest of the future. But we ask that you would protect us, uh, not just from getting sick, not just from the virus, but protect us from being misled by false gospels, false churches, false teachers. Uh, we ask that, that you would help us to not worry and not be frightened, not be scared of what's going on around us. These things are just birth pangs. And uh, we pray that at the same time we, we would be um, understanding and that we would prefer others in love, those who uh, are, are more susceptible to worry and fear, that we would help them and, and be patient with them, and that we would be wise how we navigate what, what we do. Uh, thank you for all the students here, and thank you for this morning. We look forward to, uh, to what you have in store for us the rest of the day. We pray for Pastor Zach and, uh, and for the next uh, message from your word. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, get your books, and uh, remember, winter camp registration is open, okay?